before in Jesus' name. I pray that this would be beneficial. Guide me by your Holy Spirit. Keep me from saying what doesn't need to be said. And release me to say what would be useful and helpful and draw people to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The problem with tradition. <laughs> I wrestled with, with the title for this one. Um, I might as well tell you. It was just like we didn't want it to be up online. Uh, I discarded sanctified expectorating. Holy spit. That one, no, wasn't a go. Um, when religious people aren't getting it, a whole bunch of things, but settled on the problem with traditions. So I am, believe it or not, I'm doing the Mark thing. I'm back to Mark. We, I think like 47 years ago, we said we were going to preach through Mark, except when a person wanted to take a diversion, which people take diversions pretty much every Sunday, including myself. Uh, so I don't know how long ago we should have been through Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first and second, you know, <laughs> Corinthians, Galatians, but anyway, we're still on Mark and I was the last one to preach on Mark, and now I'm back again, picking up where I left off. I'm just going to jump right in. If you remember my last sermon before Jason's last week, I was talking about the Syrophoenician woman, which I love that story. It's about a woman who was probably involved in the occult, and because she was involved in the occult, because that was the religion she came from, a non-Jewish, non-Yahweh-worshipping group, she had a demonized daughter. And uh, she came to Jesus, and if you compare Mark with especially Matthew's account, um, the disciples thought she was disgusting, didn't want her around. Jesus didn't answer her right away. Really interesting account. But now we're picking up after the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus healed her. I mean, he healed, the, healed the daughter. And... Uh, so let's just pick up here. It says, again, he went from the region of Tyre. So this is north of Israel. Through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. So uh, here's a guy, obvious physical problems, and they say, lay your hand on him. Why? Why do they want him to lay his hand on him? Why, why are they saying, Jesus, go lay your hand on him? Well, why? Why, why not, Jesus, stand on your head and blow bubbles? Or, or Jesus, you know, say that magic prayer that you got on Sunday on a little card over this guy. Why was, why was everyone saying, Jesus, lay your hand on him? Because that was what he had done. That's just what they had seen. It was common practice. It's what the people came and the disciples came to expect. So let's see here. Is laying hands on someone a bad thing? No. It's a great thing when it's the right thing to do. So uh, why, why, do, why do they say lay hands? Why lay hands? Well, because uh, back in 523, one of the synagogue officials, that's one of the religious leaders of a community named uh, Jairus came up. And seeing him fell, on, uh, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter's at the point of death. Please come lay your hand, hands on her so she'll get well. And then you jump ahead. Next chapter, he goes to his hometown, and they don't have a whole lot of faith. 
um, because he grew up there. And if you get around your people, it's hard for them to believe that you're really the next big thing. So they had a hard time respecting Jesus. And it said that he wasn't able to do a lot of miracles there because they, they didn't believe in who he was. But it says he could do no miracle there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But he wondered at their unbelief. He was like, I cannot believe how unbelieving you guys are. That's amazing to me. But it's, it's just common practice. So what does Jesus do? Jesus do the thing you always do. And so we're going to look at three different questions that as I, as I mulled over this passage and prayed through this passage, things just tend to like leap out at me. Um, I'll show you what leaped out at me in this passage. Points to ponder. First of all, why does Jesus do such a bizarre thing? This is where the title Holy Spit comes from. They say, lay your hands on him. He's like, okay. No, he doesn't do that. That's later. He, he touches his tongue with his spit. After he sticks his finger in his ears. What is he doing? That's not how you're supposed to do it. But then something else that jumped out at me, really strange. When, you, when you're reading a Bible passage and there's like a detail, you're like, what is that doing there? Why does Jesus sigh deeply? It's actually a word that in Romans 8, and I'm trying to think where else, Paul uses it for a groan. Uh, before he heals the guy, he does something totally, I don't know, out of the box. But before he does it, he goes, uh, and then he heals him. Why does he sigh? And then why does Jesus tell this guy and a whole lot of other people not to tell anybody what just happened? That's, uh, some people call that the messianic secret. Why is Jesus telling everybody not to go out and say, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, the Messiah has come, woohoo. He tells people, hey, could you just keep this under wraps for a little bit? And this comes up a lot in, in the Gospels, and it comes up all around this passage. And even later, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, some people say this, and some people say this. Uh, Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, uh, you got that by divine revelation, but keep it under wraps. Strange. Has that puzzled any of you guys when you've read the Gospels? Okay, three and a half of you. No, that's like 10 or 20 of you. Raise your hands. Um, so let's look at these questions. So let's first of all see the weird, weird thing he does. So Jesus, do what you always do. Put your hand on people. And so Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers in his ears, that's weird. And after spitting, <laughs> he touched his tongue. That's Is that weird? I'm pretty sure, I, if I was looking at the Greek this morning, interesting, onomatopoeia, duo. That's how you say I spit. Duo. <laughs> Seriously, it's just funny if you want to. I thought it was an interesting Greek word. Duo. Uh, so he spits, and I was, I was just this contrast here. And the thing I wanted to emphasize is uh, even the coolest things that God does in our midst can turn into traditions that actually hinder God doing the next thing. 
and I'm thinking about this because it's kind of practical because we've just come through a season where some things that were really cool and they were working really well stopped working really well. Um, and what you have to do is you have to go back and evaluate. Is this still the thing? Or does God want us to do something new? But we tend to hold on to the old things because we're afraid. And we're like, well, we know that that old thing worked, so uh, I don't want to let it go. But I think even with how fresh and new everything was with Jesus, um, I think he just wants to keep people on their toes. It doesn't mean he's never going to lay hands on anyone again. But he's just like, don't get into this rigid, formal, I got God in a box, all wrapped up with a bow, and he's got to do it this way every time. Because a lot of times that will get in the way of what God actually wants to do. And this was a huge problem with the people who he was ministering to here. Massive problem, because in this chapter, I don't know if we can go into the whole thing here, but in the context of this chapter, the Pharisees and the scribes are getting all over his disciples because they're not washing their hands right. And so Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of man. Because even when God does something a certain way, if we take the package and then we impose it on everybody, he didn't ask us to do that. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your traditions. And so I just think uh, we all need to be very careful what is holy and what is maybe useful but not necessary, and then what's completely dispensable. And I think we've got a lot of these things all bungled up in our mind. Uh, and I think a mature Christian that really wants to be used by God has to sort it all out. Maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but um, there's a certain way people need to look in church. Um, got to have Sunday school and youth group. And of course, you got to have a church building. It's absurd to think, and a pulpit. Got to have a pulpit, and you have to have this certain order of service. Not a single one of those things is in the Bible anywhere, but then we think it's sacred and holy, or a musical style. Um, but anyway, these guys, they took some commandments and some principles. I mean, you could attach... Of course, God wants us to sing. That's in the Bible. So then we turn it into this rigid tradition. And then we condemn people who don't do it exactly in this little tight form. That somehow we've confused the reality with the little box that somehow we've inherited. And that little box actually may be getting in the way of what God wants to do. So I just see Jesus here. They're like, Jesus, put your hand on, put your hand on. He's like, you know what? Maybe just put your hand on the thing. It's going to get him in a rut. So I'm just going to, I'm going to blow up their paradigm. How about this, guys? And they're like, what in the world? But it worked. Well, sweet, we need to make a new spitting sacrament. Let's all, everybody, put your hands in your neighbor's ears, spit on your hand and stick it on the. No, it's the only time he ever did this. He does spit in the next chapter and heals a guy a different way with some spit. But this is not normal. But it's, you just have to be aware of they had a problem. 
They, they had boxed God in and boxed God's ways in, and we do the same thing. And from the very outset of the movement, Jesus is like, I don't want you to do this. I was thinking of the book of Acts. It's interesting. There's kind of a sequence you see. People believe, and then they're baptized, and then the apostles lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit in a very, I think, a very prophetic way, because to believe you have to have the Holy Spirit. But then they manifest by prophesying and speaking in tongues. There's a very clear sequence, but it's pretty much messed up most of the time. So it's obvious that there's a sequence that God laid out in Scripture, but I think, again, he does this kind of thing, so we never think that there's some magic to the sequence or the little box. And uh, so the people Jesus was dealing, were dealing with, they were, they were a mess because they had generations and generations and generations of, they didn't just have the, the what is it, 613 laws in Scripture in the Old Covenant, but they had what they called the hedge around the law, which is just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws to protect the original laws that God gave them. And it gets ridiculous, and he's fighting this the whole time. But this is, what, this is the conversation that happens right before Jesus heals this guy. But I wanted to show you some. One of the biggest debates was had to do with the Sabbath, had to do with the day of rest. And so in Mark 3, it says, He entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him to see if he'd heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Uh, this is really interesting. If you study history um, and Judaism, there's a work, it's known as the Mishnah. And it's the oral tradition that virtually everybody believes came out of the what the Pharisees were talking about in Jesus' time. And so you have the biblical command not to work on the Sabbath, but then you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ridiculous Sorry, I don't mean to be mean, but just rules. And from the Mishnah, someone basically developed a periodic table of laws to make sure you don't break in order to keep resting on the Sabbath. And so there's your periodic table. And you have, let me, see, let me read it up there, but you have you have laws about carrying and laws about plowing and laws about boring and laws about um, grinding and laws about, and so they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. You take this many steps. In my master's thesis, I actually, there's talk about, can you, if, if you're eating a fig and there's a stone in the fig, if you roll it over in your mouth, does that work? I mean, these people were obsessed with, and so these guys, you have a guy who's got a serious problem and Jesus, of course, he's just driven by love. And of course, God gives us rules and things to abide by. But uh, it's a little bit like this. Busy intersection, you're not supposed to jaywalk, right? I mean, that's for your own good. But um, if little granny's getting mugged on the other side of the road, right? And you're, you're a linebacker, you know, for State University, you're not just going to be going, oh, man, come on, light. Come on, light. Let's go. Let's go. Let's change. I got to go stop this. There's certain things that become irrelevant in light of other things. And so Jesus is like, look, man, this dude is not, not having a hand. 
I mean, just think about all the things in his life that that affected. Maybe that kept him from having a career and kept him from having a wife and kept him from having a family and kept him from having all these blessings that God wanted him to have. And whenever Jesus sees a situation like that, you know the word. Splunk Nizomite. Oh, I got to help this guy. And that's what a real Christian is, somebody who is moved like that. They're not thinking about all the do's and don'ts, but he's surrounded by all these do's and don'ts people. So they're saying, all right, let's see. Let's see if he breaks the rules. And so Jesus says, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? He sounds a little frustrated. You guys are so hard-headed. Not you, but people Jesus is talking to. They kept silent after looking around at them with anger. Anger's not always wrong. What you do with your anger determines whether anger can be a motive to do wonderful things. It's just a frustration. It's a problem that needs to be solved. But their hardness of heart was keeping people from receiving the love of God or touch from God. And even the religious leaders were bound up by rules, so they missed the opportunity to love people. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And these people, a lot of them had memorized the entire scripture, the extant scripture, the, the Torah, everything. They knew it all. But they, didn't, they weren't getting the message. He said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and the hand was restored. Now watch what the religious leaders did. The Pharisees went out, immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. The Herodians, he's probably talking about the Pharisees because they were politically connected and had control of the temple and all this. But even these enemies, they got together against Jesus. But what are they really fighting against? They're fighting against the love of God that should override all other considerations. And these people are like, no, it's do's and don'ts and don'ts and do's and do's and don'ts. You know? Jesus did not wake up in the morning. Okay, I, don't have to com- I, I need to not commit adultery. I shouldn't steal from that corner market. I should not cuss out my roommate. I should not- he does, he's not doing any of that. He's just overwhelmed with love for people. And if you're overwhelmed with love because you have the spirit driving, motivating, Paul even goes so far as to say almost intoxicating you, you're not going to be breaking the rules, the ones that count. But there are some things that we'll do in a religious context and even things that God asks us to do, but there are way higher principles and a lot of us get caught up on these things. And it's just interesting to me and how quickly we fall into it but I think this, even this passage where you have Jesus kind of shift gears and do something totally out of the box is keeping this new movement from getting into a rut. All right, we need a formula. We need, it, we need a prayer. We're going to pass out a card. Say this prayer in this situation. Do these actions. You know, you think about the hokey pokey, right? You put your left foot in, you take the left foot out, right? You, you come up with these religious kind of hokey pokey dances and you give them out to everybody and say, this is always the way it works. I'm studying uh, spiritual warfare, and the Catholic Church, which it just um, isn't very effective at helping demonize people. Um, Born-again, spirit-filled Protestants who know the Bible, not all of them are, some of them are goofy, but the best ones are just the simple born-again Protestants that really know the Bible, and they just take care of business. But the Catholic Church will do that. They'll hand out certain prayers you pray, certain very structured, very liturgical in the way that you're supposed to handle the situation. And I think that kind of thinking a lot of times gets in the way of God actually making the thing happen. So here we have these people wanting to kill Jesus because he's trying to love a guy. And he's violating their sense of what is right and wrong because they've set up all these religious structures. 
Do you have any of these in your head? I'm not going to look at anybody. <laughs> I think we all do. I'm trying to think of the ones I was raised with. Oh, man. I When I was a kid, yeah, boy. I'm, I'm afraid to like, I'm like, Lord, help me to be discerning which ones I mentioned. When, when I was, a, I mean, a cer certain styles of music, some are clearly of the devil. Why are they of the devil? They just are. I mean, and they come up with all these silly reasons. It's the demon beat. They borrowed it from the jungles of witchcraft ceremonies. Seriously, I'm not even making this up. This is this stuff we were taught. It's got the demon beat. It summons demons. And so it's um, rock and certain ways of dressing. Uh, tattoos. Mm. People shouldn't be in church. Even certain types of people in church, certain, certain social strata. What are they doing in church? I'm thinking of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, who uh, that's just such a beautiful church. Um, <laughs> we don't want shiny people in church. We want broken people in church. And one of the coolest stories was they would go out, the, their, their evangelism team, it was called the Salt Mines, and reach out to the homosexual transvestite prostitutes. And one of them came to church, and I saw pictures of this person, heard the testimony, and I hate to say this, I'm not, I don't have these tendencies or anything. The guy just looked like a beautiful girl. I mean, he was very petite. He took hormones. He talked like a girl, walked like a, you know, big blonde. Uh, I mean, but the dude was, woo. I mean, he was out there, but he came to church. And he just talked about how he wasn't judged and he was loved and he was restored. And why was he like that? Well, I don't have time to preach another sermon, but people don't roll out of bed saying, this is where I want to go. I want to be a homosexual transvestite prostitute whacked out on drugs. It's a horrible storyline, but they love this person. <sighs> well, what are they doing in church? Those are the kind of people that flock to Jesus. But what are, what are some of the other things? Some people would, a church that doesn't have a building. How is that a church? When was the first, when did, when did church buildings come into vogue? About 300 years after Jesus' death? They were doing pretty well without them. But this is in our mind. You can't be a church. You don't have a building. Well, Paul wasn't dealing with churches. The, the New Testament letters weren't written to churches with buildings. They were mostly churches meeting in people's houses. Or when things got rough, they'd meet in the catacombs. Or let's go meet under the tree, you know? Uh, but all these things that we... Yeah, a friend of mine kind of blew that up for me because that was so locked into my mind, I'd never scrutinized it. Yeah, a church has to have a building. And then he's like, that was not even a thing till 300 plus AD when Constantine said it's okay to be a Christian. And then things got really messy. But anyway, we have all sorts of these things. They're not sacred, they're not holy, and they actually can get in the way. And I think God wants to blow them up and just like this is Jesus. Okay, now's the time to lay hands on it. And he says, let me just blow up your paradigm here because you guys have a problem. And so here we have the periodical table of what you can't do on the Sabbath. Was that why God gave us the Sabbath? No. Because man, <laughs> the Sabbath was made for you guys. So you guys would get a break. You were not made to be slaves to the Sabbath. And... This rest day 
was not made to be an excuse not to love someone. Elsewhere, Jesus says, if your livestock falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, Sabbath you're going to pull it out. How much more valuable are human beings? The whole program is like Matt was saying, man. And what Jason was saying, oh, another sermon on love. Yep. That's it, man. That is the thing. Love is the thing. Rules are usually putting people in bondage. And the more free you get in Christ and the more you get with the program, you just don't even think about the rules. I used to be in bondage to rules when I was young and I almost went crazy. And uh, I have it, you know, I've written about it. Um, it's much more fun to just obsess over love. Gosh. That was a good time to, might as well bring this up. Uh, and I, I think we, we, yeah, every Sunday we should just preach about love. Like, look at it from some new angle. Just got a letter from somebody that a lot of you love, who we could say pretty well was scraped off the road and a lot of you have sacrificed. Some of you have had live in the house with them. And this person just came from a super rough background. And then you guys give really generous. And he's in a program right now that, praise the Lord, it really seems to be a good one, a good teen challenge. But I just got a letter from him yesterday, uh, <laughs> which is, I'm killing it, man, in a good way. I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm God's really moving and God's really working and thank you so much and I'm so I'm so thankful for this body and for you and what you did and I'm like that's what Matt's talking about that's what life is when when you're laying on your deathbed congratulations for being CEO of a Fortune 500 company yeah and all your kids are in rehab and they all hate you and you're on your third wife um, and you're gonna go who cares. It's all about loving people, et cetera. So this is just one thing that like gets in our way. And just that's what this passage, in the that's what the context is, tradition. And Jesus seems to kind of break even the tradition that's almost naturally forming in these people's minds. Um, so then let's see what he does next. So he, he first of all breaks their expectations. And then he looks up to heaven and he goes, why did he do that? Why do you think he did it in the context? There's points where Jesus said, how long will I put up with you guys? There's times when he gets exasperated with the disciples. <clears throat> and then he said to him, aphatha, or aphatha. That is, be opened. Must be Aramaic, because it's certainly not Greek. And his ears were open. And the impediment, oh, I, this is me working on it early in the morning, of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. But he goes, ah, what, why do you do that? You're grieved, you're exasperated, you're frustrated, you wish things were different. Why do you sigh or groan? It's somewhere between a sigh and Why do you do that? Ah, my neighbor just took my parking place again. My roommate just left all the dishes all over the place again. Uh, my teenage son forgot to mow the lawn again. Uh, my kids' grades weren't what they were supposed to be. Is you want things to be here, and they're here. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, you people, come on, man. So this big sigh. So... 
Anyway, why did Jesus sigh? And I think it's because so many people miss the point of it all. They're just dismissing it. They're just missing the point of it all. We're going to church. We're missing the point. Uh, and the point is love God, which I really like. I've, I've said this before. I really like Jason's little addition to my definition of love. I said love is doing what's best for the other. But you know what? You could do what's best for the other for a wrong motive. I could do what's best for you because I want a promotion. I could do what's best for you. All kinds of reasons. I want you to buy my drinks. I could do whatever. I, but it's, I'm going to do what's best for you because I value you. Because you're worth it to me. I was like, I like that. Um, but the whole program is about love. God is love. And when you really know God, he's not, a bunch of, he's not about a bunch of rules. We see this in Jesus. He's about love. And he's about doing the best for other people because you value them. But even the structures we put around acts of love can become tradition that hinders us. Does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with meeting in this building. And, but what would, happen if we, what would happen if we turned the chairs all this way? There's some people that would get upset. They'd get upset. What if we sang the songs in the middle? Or didn't sing any songs at all? I think I'm going to go to another church. What are we, nuts? Like, what does that have to do with love, right, really? But we do this. We lock ourselves down into these habits and patterns. And then we miss. What are we here for? We're here to love people. And we should be, like, praising the Lord when we hear about someone like, you know who I'm talking about, saying, I'm killing it. Thank you for loving me. And then Matt gives the testimony. Here's how you love someone when it's really hard. You don't feel like it, but do it anyway. Because that's what God did while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So I think he's signed because everybody's missing the point. We hold to non-essential religious traditions and reject, sorry, I'm just a terrible speller, people who don't honor them. Let's move on quickly. <laughs> I put this together like three or four in the morning. Hey, don't you dare take a picture of that. Like what? And I already mentioned these. Church buildings. The big man pastor. What's a church without a big man? Celebrity pastors. That's, that's the whole church. Their churches is when the, when, the, when, the, when the big celebrity goes down, the church just scatters to the wind as if they had nothing else going on in the whole church. Where is that in the Bible? Every single person in the church is supposed to be carrying some weight. And if the pastor drops dead, God forbid, or God calls him to the other side of the planet, the church should just roll right on. And the church should actually, a good healthy church should have somebody else waiting in the wings that God's been pouring into for several years. He can just step right up and but all this stuff, the celebrity pastor. And so then when the pastor goes down or, or leaves, then you got to go search the nation for another superstar. Where is this coming from? Order of service? Sunday dress. I've, I've said this many times, but I, I had a guy who was offended. He used to come to my previous church occasionally, and his daughter was very active in our church. And he had... He had almost destroyed her when she was a teenager with his insanity, this kind of militaristic, legalistic, tiger father thing. Just, and in my mind, that's, uh, 
That's a terrible thing. But what his big concern was, that I didn't wear a tie. Did Jesus wear a tie? Did Paul wear a tie? It's, where do we get these ideas from? What about youth group? Good idea? I don't think it's usually a good idea. I think it's usually Lord of the Flies. I used to go to youth group to scam the chicks and then go out afterwards and pull the beer out of the river and get drunk with my buddies and we put up a little devotional if we had to. And some people are like, well, I was really touched and blessed. Well, God works with what we give him. He's not like going to check out completely. He's looking for hungry hearts and people do get saved. But is it the best model? Absolutely not. Is, is a lot of bad things happening? Yeah, well, why do we do it? Tradition. What about the youth pastor? Oh, fantastic, Dad. It's usually someone who's like spiritually maybe six months ahead of the kids who likes to tell jokes about bodily noises and stuff. And he acts like a junior hire, so that's why he's the youth leader. He can't really help them. And I hate to say this, a lot of times they end up messing around with some pretty girl in the youth group. And you can get offended at this, but all of us have stories. Is this a good idea? Sunday school. Do we even know where it came from? I'm not saying it's wrong, but know why you're doing it. Don't just do it. Sunday school was originally implemented to help teach poor kids that couldn't read. And we're working in factories and we're going to have a life unless they learn how to read. And that Sunday's off. So I said, hey, let's do it. What a beautiful thing. That, that was love driving that. Why do we do it? Because we don't want the kids messing up our service. Get them out of here. Or it's just the way it's always been. Worship teams. You know, this sure makes life easier. Just pipe it on in. You get the best worship leaders in the world. You don't have to pay them. I mean, we do pay to, to get the legal rights to play the music, but uh, we're just like, what's a church without a professional worship team, you know, that could play on the late show? It's like, where do we get that from? Or some churches, it's hymns. But it, or even our theology or our seminary training, all these kind of things. We lump them in. We, we act like they're essential. And then what we end up doing is shutting people out who don't share our secondary views and acting in very unloving ways. So, is that clock right back there? Is it only 1130? Wow. Okay. So, Jesus uh, would often say this, and actually this phrase feeds right into this account in Matthew. He's talking to these ridiculous people that are all about rules and rituals and stand up, sit down and smells and bells and robes and all this kind of stuff and getting mad when the wrong kind of person comes into the church with the wrong ritual and the wrong dress and the wrong race and the wrong socioeconomic. Um, and they, they're always getting on Jesus' case. And he said, if you had known what this means, I want Elias, which, yeah, read my new book. It's... It's a quotation of an Old Testament prophet, and the word is hesed, and it's the most important theological term in the Old Testament. I want you to be kind and loving. That is the program. That's why you're placed on planet Earth. I was talking to someone in evangelism this week. This was nuts. 
and I'm a little worried that the person might be here because he seems sincere and I don't want to like hurt his feelings. But uh, he was asking me about dietary laws and shouldn't we be concerned with the dietary laws in scripture and all this? And I said, Hebrews says you're not benefited by obsessing over these things. Hebrews 13. Romans 14 says don't judge anyone about them. This very passage that I'm studying in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said all foods are clean now. Stop obsessing over it. I had reasons for doing it. Those are done. We're moving on to new discussions. And the more we talked, this guy said, I think you and I talked like 10 years ago about the same thing. And from what I picked up from the conversation, it's going, like, what have you been doing for the last 10 years? Well, I've been kind of stuck here and really frustrated at the church for not getting more serious about the dietary laws. Uh, I, I don't know. Never flipped over any tables before. I'm kind of like, are you kidding me? You've been locked in some silly little religious trap, judging the church. And he's been out of the church, and he hasn't been. And uh, it was interesting because it, it wasn't really 10 years. It was like eight. It was right when I landed here in Manhattan. And uh, I don't know. Let me know how to... God taught me that love was the sinner a long time ago. I'm not very good at it, and I'm always being corrected, and there's something God's really dealing with me very specifically on right now, which is I tend to say things more harshly than I need to. Don't say amen. But anyway, I'm really working on that. I'm trying to, I'm, I really want to become a more gentle person, and God's like, you're not, and sometimes that hinders but I try to love people. I want to focus on orphans and widows and the homeless and drug addicts and the lost. And, and it just made me kind of take inventory of the last 10 years. And uh, I think some pretty cool things have happened. But poor dude has been stuck in his little tradition rut. And it's fascinating that that issue came right up in this chapter. How sad little rules and regulations that you end up putting up walls, judging people. You end up not loving people. And so I said, have you ever, have you ever ministered to an orphan? I mean, have you ever like made a friend with a homeless person? I didn't ask. I, I just brought up the orphan thing, but it's like, have you ever led anyone to Christ? Have you ever shed a tear in prayer for another human being? Have you ever took a hit on your income to like give food to some famine crisis? Somewhere, are you just all locked down in your do's and don'ts and your little traditional nonsense? Jesus said, go learn what this means. I want Elias, Hesed, kindness in the Old Testament, loving kindness. I want you laying down your lives because people are worth it. Suffering, putting up with their nonsense, letting them spit in your face and cuss you out and keep coming after them. I've got some really colorful texts on my phone. I save them. I can't even hint at the words that were used on them. One of them came from this person I was just talking about, who's now saying, thank you so much for hanging in there. That's the game. It's all about love. So Jesus said, you guys are missing the whole, you're missing the whole program. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole on the prophets. Everything God ever said, that's the program. And a lot of times you're just going to have to run across the street and you're going to have to do something on the Sabbath and you're going to have to, because those, those packages can help at the right time in the right place. But even things like baptism, it's not magic. Our Lord's table is not magic. And I know some people get upset about this. But I would just praise the Lord for the Cornelius' household. That's what God showed us in Acts chapter 10. The whole place got saved, and then like, uh, they're all saved. Uh, no one's baptized. Um, uh, get over here, guys. We're putting you in the water because we're supposed to do it. It's when ritual and tradition and outward actions kind of eclipse the spiritual reality that God's after. And then, yeah, of course, James is dealing with kind of a different religious problem. And he says, this is pure and undefiled religion. Visit orphans and widows, the most vulnerable people in society. Are you guys all about that? Are you worried about how far a girl's skirt is above or below her knees or boys can't have pierced ears or you have to have your hair this way or... And you hate and condemn and don't end up loving anyone. It's interesting, Christians are sometimes thought of as the most hateful people. And it, it was supposed to be the exact opposite. We're supposed to be taking in all the broken, loving them, putting up with their nonsense, loving them through to the other side, helping them understand God loves them, why the way they're living their life isn't the best way you know, and love is not telling a prostitute, Jesus loves you just as you are. He loves you, but he doesn't want you to remain just as you are because this is very detrimental and damaging and you're not going to fulfill your created purpose if you continue down this track and with a whole bunch of other sins as well. But you love them and you befriend them. Okay, let's see here. What else do we got? Oh, then he gave them orders not to tell anyone. The more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So that's my third question. Why did Jesus sigh? Why does Jesus say, tell no one? And he does it a lot. And I'll just tell you what came to mind when I was meditating on this was John chapter 6. A lot of scholars bat this around. A lot of stuff online that you read scholars say about the Bible, it's really worthless. Like Wikipedia, worthless, usually. Because um, there's two kinds of scholars. There's born-again scholars who actually have the Holy Spirit, and there's lost scholars who devote their life to the Bible for only God knows why. And, and this is going to be the stuff that's quoted on Wikipedia. They don't have the Spirit of God. And the Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of God, you can't understand the things. That, that's what the Bible itself says. You can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. Um, so anyway, I went online. It's called the Messianic Secret. And I looked on Wikipedia. I'm like, worthless, because it's all these guys talking about why. Some of them are like, it wasn't even in the original manuscripts. An editor stuck it in there for political reasons. Way later. It's like, Whatever. I'm going to go find out why Mark would have put it in there as something that Jesus was actually doing. But it made me think about 
Uh, I'm not going to go into a big discourse on John 6, but in John 6, Jesus does a miracle and he feeds 5,000 people bread. And then it says they wanted to come and make him king. Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and make him king by force, withdrew to the mountain by himself alone. I'm getting out of here, man. I think, to make a long story short, the re and the, what happened was in the end, they all ended up following him. Then he ended up saying some things that would drive them away intentionally to make them go away. He, he taught some, I could say some things that would make you guys not want to come back here Sunday. And they could be true things. I could just say them in a way that I knew you're going to misinterpret. And as strange as it sounds, that's what Jesus did. And this was the point at which he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And he knew that they were going to see that as some zombie cannibal crazy. And they said, we're out of here. And Jesus is like, well, I don't want you following me for magic bread. It's not what I'm here for. I'm here for a reason, but if people follow me for the wrong reason, it's a big problem. And the wrong reason is to leverage God for goodies on this side of heaven. It's a lot like witchcraft. I mean, it's you're, you're leveraging and all the pagan, you know, ancient Near Eastern religions. You leverage the gods, you appease the gods so you can win wars, so you can find love, so you can curse your enemies. And uh, they're like, hey, let's make Jesus king because he can, he can make bread. Or he can make blind eyes see. He can make the lame walk. He can stop a storm. He could vaporize the Romans. I mean, we, we, we could be the top of the heap on planet. We could, have the, we could have the superpower. This could be back to the glory days of David and Solomon. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, that's not exactly the kind of king that Jesus came to be. He said, you guys have way bigger problems than bread and natural enemies and all this. You guys are being oppressed by a spiritual power that has eternal implications, not just boundary border wars and, you know, your, your whatever GNP of your little nation or a better quality of life. We're in a cosmic battle. And humanity is being oppressed by evil spiritual forces, and I need to come and break their power so you guys can not just, yeah, being a Christian that gives you a better life on this side, but really it's about your eternity. It's about you getting right with God now, believing that I'm here to reconcile you to God, getting on that team. And you may have to suffer on this side. You'll, a lot of you will be put to death because of this world system. So if you want God to up your batting average and your bank account and all that and lower your, your you know, BMI or whatever you think Jesus is going to do for you, that's not what he's doing. Help your health out. Oh, there's all these Bible diet things online. It's like you're, you're missing the point. And uh, so why he's saying to wait, I think, is because the Holy Spirit has not yet come even the disciples don't know what's going on. And it's kind of like when we go, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, right? Surprise birthday party. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Oh, right? 
or I was thinking of, uh, I, I was just trying to think of a bunch of different examples of this kind of a gnarly one. Uh, what's that movie? Braveheart, right? They got those big shafts down the ground. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> right. And they come up and <laughs> so God, I think Jesus is like, look, you guys cannot go out until I accomplish redemption because everyone is going to be just muddled in the brain about who I am and what I'm up to. It's going to cause the right, the, the wrong kind of crowds and the wrong kind of mass, you know, excitement. So he's always saying, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And I think that's, I think that's a very compelling reason why just like, look, I don't want a bunch of, in, in uh, missions, they call them rice Christians. They're all the natives that show up for the free rice. Oh, is that what that would be in a Christian is? Okay, sign me up. I get free rice. I'm not going to starve anymore. That's not why Jesus came. He does give you a wonderful, exciting life on this side of eternity, but it's not just so you can find love and the job and health and wealth. And th those churches are packed because those people are trying to leverage God for goodies on this side. And just like, that's not why I came. That's not the kind of people I want following me. And we have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And even tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, because now that the work of redemption, I've died. I've risen from the dead. I've gone back to sit at the Father's right hand. I can pour out the Holy Spirit without measure on humanity now, and the Holy Spirit will now help you when you speak the message. It will go to people's hearts, and they'll get it. Before that time, everybody, including the disciples, that if you just read through the Gospels, nobody knows what's up. The, the disciples are like the Keystone Cops. They are. They're just like banging into each other, falling on the ground, saying dumb stuff, fighting with each other. Who's the greatest? Do, do I get to sit at your right hand when you come in your kingdom? They're just, they're crazy. But there's going to come a time when, yeah, get out there and tell people what it's all about. What's it all about? It's all about God transforming your heart to be like his heart showing other people that's why they were created in a very hostile environment, giving the message of salvation to other people so they can understand why they were created and they can love others as well. And then we can, as far as we possibly can, preach this message to a lost and dying world that is as confused as all those people that were clamoring after Jesus for the wrong reasons, but we can preach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and help people find out why they're here, what they're doing here, and what God's eternal purpose for them is. No, that's a mouthful. Does that make sense? But I think Jesus is just like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. I mean, you look at the, the, the week before he was, talk about a bunch of crazies. Um, the triumphal entry. Everyone's like, Jesus, yeah! It's like he won the Super Bowl. And the next week they're like, crucify? They're insane. They don't know, they don't know what's going on. But now we have the Holy Spirit. What's it all about? You were created to love. And then when you see that, you're like, oh my goodness, I've not done that. Yeah, that's called sin. You use, you abuse, you scratch, you claw, you look out for number one, and you make excuses as to why you can do it and nobody else can. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let him change your heart and then show all the people around you what it's all about. Live it and speak it. Tell people about the God who loved him so much that he died for them. But how does tradition get in the way? Some people just, somehow we take little patterns 
even patterns that we develop in the midst of following God, and somehow these eclipse and override the main thing. The main thing, Paul says, the goal of our instruction is love. You were created to love before you meet Jesus. You weren't loving. You were a big jerk, selfish. No, I was really good. I was performing better than anyone else. Yeah, full of pride and self-righteousness, which is the worst. You were the worst. God could more easily work with a tax gatherer and a prostitute than you. You were the hardest nuts for Jesus to crack, and he almost got none of those people, the good ones. Those are the ones he said <laughs> that those who are well don't need a physician. Anyway, so as I went through this passage, do inventory. Are you, what are you judging people by? What are you cutting people off for? Who do you want to see come into this church? Who don't you think should be in this church? Are you making judgments on fellow believers on issues that don't matter at all? Could we meet on Wednesday mornings in the middle of a field and do Tibetan chants? You know, it's like we, we could, there's a million different ways to follow the Lord, that, but we come up with these structures. And I just think God wants to blow them up, get us back to the main thing. We were created to love. And then get out there and try to love. And that's, you know, that's where the fun is. And, and things like this letter, throughout my life, I have phone calls and letters. And, you know, that's, I think when I'm dying, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to say, that's what gave my life value. Understanding why Jesus came to make me like him and submitting to that, clearing out all the junk. It doesn't mean that's wrong, but God may ask us to blow up a structure or 50 so that that love can really get out there and make a difference in the world. So I hope this made sense to you. Um, I was really blessed. It's always fun to look at a passage of Scripture because, oh, and here, here, the last, this is where we should end it. He said, wait for it, 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 wait for it. But then after Jesus died, rose from the dead, God poured out his Holy Spirit. He's now, go for it. Go now. Get out there. Love and tell everybody that I'm the God of love and I love them. And, and now you have the power of the Holy Spirit and he's going to clear up all the muddle uh, in people's heads so then they can really understand why Jesus came. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you're a God of love. You're so much better than all the muddle in our head. All the So many of us came up in traditions where you were this ogre, cruel, and demanding taskmaster, never happy, never pleased, never satisfied, everything but what Jesus was. But we thank you that Jesus, you said he was seeing me as seeing the Father. You are love. You demonstrated your love for us by dying for us, setting us free from our sin. Uh, you demonstrated your power by rising from the dead. And now you put your Holy Spirit inside of us. Transform us and give us the power to bring this to others. Help us, Lord, to figure all this out and do it right. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So might as well read this because I forgot to read it before I prayed. Jesus came up and spoke to them. Did I break tradition there? Sorry. Jesus came up to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples. What kind of disciples? Loving disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, like I want love, kindness, mercy, Elias, Hesed, not your religious ditties. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.
So that's a wrap. And uh, we'll be praying in that side room over there. One o'clock CD group meeting. And uh, some of you guys who are going to remain for lunch, please help set up the tables. But thanks for coming.